Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We are so glad you've tuned in. My name is Ryan and I'll be your host today. Our prayer as you listen to this sermon series on the final journeys of Paul in Acts is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. Second round in here, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. We are going to be starting today a new series, looking at the final journeys of Paul at the end of Acts. We're starting in verse, a little bit into 18, but from 19 to the end of the book. And Lord willing, we'll be finished just before Christmas time. Uh, it's hard to think. I'm thinking through like Christmas series and stuff like that. If you have any ideas for Christmas series, please let me know because comes every year and it's hard to come up with something. Well, there's nothing new in the Christmas story. I'll just go back to the original Christmas story and preach that. But <laughs> that wasn't in my notes, by the way. Uh, today we're beginning a new series it's called Being Good News People in a Bad News World. And we're going to be looking at these journeys. And, and, and the, as we're looking at these journeys, my hope and prayer is that we're going to learn some very practical lessons, like very practical lessons on how we can be, as people of God, carriers of the good news into this world that we find ourselves in. Because this, this is a tough world right now. There's a lot of pain and suffering. There's division. There's growing angst. There's growing anger in this world. And so how can we, as the people of God, in the midst of a context like that, be bearers of this good news in a way that doesn't come across as fake news people, but as good news people? So that's my hope as we work through this passage here. Let me pray, and then we're going to dig in. Father, thank you for your word that we are going to study now. I pray that through it, you would speak to us. Speak to us. Give us what we need to know how we can live as these good news, good news people, how we can live as bearers of the greatest news this world could ever hear in a way that is loving, in a way that is grace-filled, in a way that you want us to do this. And so I pray that you'd show us through your word these truths and then remind us again, of what you're doing in this world, the giving us the boldness to go out into this world to make you known. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When you've got good news, you want to share it, right? We've got good news when a couple gets engaged. What's the first thing that they do? A selfie for Instagram. Facebook is for old people, Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> You're not on either. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> Selfie for Instagram. And they take their picture together. They post it on Instagram. They're telling the whole world. She said yes. Check out that rock. Hashtag. All these hashtags that go along with that. First thing you want to do is tell the whole world. When we found out, well, when my wife found out that she was pregnant with Ellie, our first, uh, she found out. I was at work. She was at home. She wanted to tell me in person. So she got in the car to go tell me. But as she's getting in the car, she ran into my brother who lived across the street at the time. And she couldn't help but tell him. So she ended up telling my brother before she told me that we were pregnant 
with this child. She was so excited, she couldn't help but share this good news. And that's what happens when you have good news. You want to share it with others, especially when that news impacts them in some kind of positive way. It's great to share that with others and allow others to, to, to feel the joy of that news and to know the joy of that news. And so you invite others into that joy that you know. That's what it means to share the good news. You're inviting someone into the joy that you're experiencing as a result of this good news. And so when we talk about being good news people, we're talking about inviting people into the joy that you know in Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel, the good news, is the greatest news that someone could ever hear. The good news of the gospel tells us that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He died for your sins. Your sin that separated you from the holy God, Jesus paid for in full. That you don't have to try to do something to, to, to make up for your sin because there's nothing you can do. So Jesus came to this earth as God himself, laid down his life for you that your sins could be forgiven, paid for in full. And then he was buried, but then he rose from the grave. He overcame death. He conquered death. And he did that for you. He did that for us, that we can conquer death, that we can have eternal life with Jesus, both now and forevermore. And Jesus ascended to heaven, and he's coming back again. This is the greatest news that the world could ever hear. And as the people of God, this is what we carry into the world. Unfortunately, sometimes when some Christians carry this message into the world, they do so in very unloving almost hateful ways. And so we can learn from what we are seeing here in the book of Acts as the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. There's a lot that we can learn along the way. Remember in Acts chapter 1, the, the, the table of contents, you can say, oh, the framework of the whole book. Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we've seen that happen almost systematically through the book of Acts. The gospel goes out from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria. Now we're looking at the ends of the earth and we're going to see the gospel being preached and proclaimed in Ephesus. And we're going to see Ephesus being what is for Paul, essentially Paul's Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about what that means as we look at it together. But we're going to see the gospel going out to the Gentiles and the center of that being the church in Ephesus, a very important passage that we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks together as we see the gospel being preached, proclaimed, disciples being made, church planters being sent out, Cross Asia Minor and churches are being planted all over the place as the gospel is being proclaimed in one place. So that one place becomes a sending place for the whole region to be introduced to Jesus Christ. This passage starts in verse, the, the, the third missionary journey of Paul begins in verse 23. Just kind of right before that, the end of Paul's second missionary journey, he's exhausted. He's tired. He's beat up. His tank is empty. Now, how do I know that? At the end of, uh, of, of the second missionary journey, verses 18, 19, he goes into Ephesus and he begins preaching the gospel. And the response is extremely positive. People are loving what they're hearing. And they say, please, can you stay? And remember what Paul says? He says, no. 
Now, why would he say no? You have this audience that's receptive to hear the message that you're proclaiming. Why would he say no? He's heading to Antioch for a time of furlough, for a time of rest. He is exhausted. He is tired. He knows that what Ephesus needs right now is a a stronger, healthier version of him. So he goes to a furlough to rest. And it's the same thing we see Jesus doing. We see Jesus with crowds all around him. And you think Jesus and the disciples even wonder, like, why are you going off into the alone places with your father to pray? This, these people want to see you. They want to hear you. Why are you leaving? And it's that reminder that we need to be plugged in, that we need to be refueled. And maybe that's a message some of us need to hear, even before we get into this third missionary journey, even before you get into the kind of the next phase of your life and how the Lord wants to use you, maybe you've just been going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. But even the Energizer Bunny runs out. We need times of refueling. We need times of rest. Just like the phone that many of you have in your pocket right now. When you lay your bed at night, even before that, it's probably going to be dead. And you're going to have to plug it in if you want to use it tomorrow. If you want to be used of God, we need to be plugging in in our times with the Lord. We need to be spending time with the Lord and allow him to refuel us. And so this is what we see happening with Paul. He's exhausted. He's beat up. And it makes sense. He's been driven out of city after city after city. And even when he leaves that city, people from that city come to other cities where he is and still try to drive him out. I don't care who you are. That's exhausting for anybody. That's hard on anyone's body. And so he takes time to rest. And then it goes on, verse 23, after spending some time in Antioch, this is the church that sent him out. He goes back into furlough. After spending some time there, he departed. He went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. So the first thing he does on his third missionary journey is not go and take the gospel into new places. The first ministry he does on his third missionary journey is the ministry of follow-up, the ministry of building up existing churches, existing believers. And that's an important ministry that we need to keep in mind. When we talk about being good news people, and we talk about being carriers of the good news into the world, that doesn't mean that we spend all of our time only going into new areas and telling people that have never heard it before. That's a part of it. It needs to be a part of it. It's not all that's involved in being good news people. Part of that is going and following up with those maybe that you've shared the gospel with. Maybe you've had gospel conversations with neighbors. And maybe it's a time for you to follow up with them on that. Maybe God's been working on their heart and they're waiting for you to bring it up again. The ministry of follow-up is an important ministry. When you tell someone you're going to pray for them, do you follow up with them and check in with them? Say, I've been praying for you. How are you doing? These are important things that are involved in becoming good news people. And then Paul, it says he was strengthening them up. So he goes to them to be a blessing to them. He goes and spends time with them to build them up again, to encourage them, to give them courage again. He strengthens them up. And so the ministry of building up existing believers, that they are stronger. And we're going to see this happening in the scriptures, this reminder that we're in this together. And so to be in this together, we need to be training up believers to be taking the message out themselves. You can't do it all on your own. We need to be training up others that we're working together, locking arms within the mission he's called us to. So the first ministry he does is the ministry of following up with other believers. Verse 24, now we're going to be introduced to an interesting man. Now a Jew named Apollos, 
a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. So Paul isn't in Ephesus at this point, but Apollos is. And Apollos is there, says he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructing, uh, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew of the baptism of John. He only knew of the baptism of John. So this is a man who is passionate. He's fervent. He's from Alexandria. That tells us something, at least it gives us a hint as to something about who he was. Alexandria was a place that was known for its intellect. Had the largest library in all of Asia Minor in Alexandria. They were known for producing some of the best of the, the brightest minds. The, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was completed in Alexandria. Septuagint means 70, 70 people in Alexandria completed the Septuagint together. It was known to produce some very smart people. And this is, gives us a hint as to what Apollos was like. And he even tells us here that he was eloquent, that he was gifted, that he was fervent in spirit. Because he's from Alexandria, it also led many people to believe that it's Apollos who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, the Greek in Hebrew, just as a kind of interesting aside, the Greek in Hebrews is very classical. It's very much like the Greek that was coming out of Alexandria at this day. And so there's a lot of people that believe Apollos was the one who wrote the book of Hebrews. That's just a freebie for today. Interesting. We can't, we can't know. We can't know. No one knows. But it's very possible it may have been Apollos. Now, he's a bright man, but he only knew of the baptism of John. He only knew of the baptism of John. So he didn't, he, he knew the baptism of John, that was John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. So he was looking forward to Jesus. So all he knew was that there was a Messiah coming, looking forward to Jesus, who was going to pave the way of salvation, who's going to make it possible for us to be saved. That's all he knew, but he was strong in his preaching. So look at what Aquila and Priscilla do, because he's missing the best part of the message of, the, of God's word. He's missing the best part. So they, verse 26, they be, he begins to speak boldly, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Priscilla and Aquila are there as well in Paul's absence. Paul's trained up Aquila and Priscilla, and they hear his preaching like, ah, he's a phenomenal preacher. What a fantastic teacher. Look at that. He's fervent in spirit, but he's missing the best part. So notice how they confront him. They don't do it publicly. They don't try to shame him in front of everyone else. Even though what he's teaching isn't the full story, they take him aside. And that's important for us. It may be a good principle for us. We take someone aside and we can explain to them the way of the Lord more accurately. So for Priscilla and Aquila, they, they essentially what they're doing is filling in the gaps in Apollo's teaching. He's a great man of God. He's teaching, but he's missing the best part. So they take him aside. They teach him. And the result is phenomenal. Verse 17, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So two things we see him doing, greatly helping those 
who were there, the believers. So he came alongside other believers. He greatly helped them. And then he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. And remember with Apollos, what Paul says about Apollos. Apollos was very clearly an influential teacher. Because remember Paul writing back to the Corinthian church, and he says to them, why are you fighting over who you're following? Some of you say you're following Apollo. Some of you say you're following Paul. And Paul's essentially, this is a paraphrase, was like, cut it out. We are both people on the same team. But Apollos was such an influential teacher, they were actually pitting him against Paul. So that's how influential of a man he was in his teaching. And Paul is saying, cut it out, God. We're on the same team. We're... we're, We're both men. We both serve the the, the God who sent Jesus to die for you, who's doing the work. And then remember, he also says, and this is likely what he's referring to when we read what's happening here. Paul says, I watered this. uh, I planted this seed. Paul's watered it. God made it grow. So we saw Paul already in his brief time planting that seed. Now we see Apollos, now that Priscilla and Aquila have filled him in, have have built him up with a full story, with a full gospel. Now he begins watering these seeds, and the result is a powerful uh, result because of these things. So you see this kind of teamwork again. We're in this together. We all have different gifts to bring. For Paul, he was one who planted the seed. For some of you here, you are fantastic at planting seeds. You're fantastic at coming alongside people, teaching them the way of Jesus, planting that seed. And then others of you are fantastic at coming alongside them and helping them. And it's this reminder that I think we need to be reminded of all the time, and that is every single one of us have been gifted by God in some capacity to be used of him and doing to see what... So like, be used of him to build up people that God can do what only God can do. So some of you have the gift of encouragement. You are fantastic at coming alongside and encouraging someone. Some of you have the gift of generosity, and you're, you're generous. You live with open hands. You're giving, giving, giving. Others of you have the gift of teaching, the gift of leadership, the gift of working with your hands, the gift of working with children, all of these things, it's just like we're being reminded that we are to lay these on the table. We're to use those gifts for the edification of the body, but then we trust God to do what only God can do. Only God can bring the growth. Paulus watered the seed that Paul had planted. It works together, and we too need to work together in the mission that God's given to us. So here goes on. Paul ends up going back to Ephesus here, verse 1 of chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was in, at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples in Ephesus. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. So he goes into Ephesus now. Now, Ephesus, just a quick word on Ephesus. We saw Apollos in Ephesus too, but Ephesus was a very superstitious place. It was a place where uh, they were known for the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana. Uh, Artemis being Greek, Diana being the Roman name. They were known for this temple, and this temple was, uh, Artemis was the Greek goddess of, you can say, almost like fertility. Like, if someone got married, that bride would cut off a piece of her hair, go into the temple of Artemis, lay that down as a sacrifice, and ask Artemis to make her womb fruitful. 
So she was known as the, the giver of life. She was known as the goddess who, if you were ever going to be fruitful, it was going to be because of her. And I want you to keep that in mind because what we're going to see in the context of this is a church that becomes incredibly fruitful for the ways of Jesus. Remember, the, the very first commission ever given to God's people was what? Adam and Eve were given a commission by God. What was it? Be fruitful and multiply. That was the commission given to Adam and Eve. The commission that Jesus gives to us now as the people of God is not be fruitful and multiply in the sense that he said it to Adam and Eve, but he said be fruitful and multiply in the sense of go and make disciples of all nations. So the commission that we live for is to go produce spiritual babies, to go and make disciples, to plant churches, to invest in people's life, to share the gospel with them, and to see them raised up as people who serve the Lord. And so this is our commission that we live for. And we're going to see that commission happening, spiritual babies being made, reproduced, in the place that was known for Artemis, who was the Greek goddess of those things. And it's like, she has no power to do any of that. In the midst of that, God is going to plant his church. And he is the one who is the controller of those things. He is the one who is sovereign over reproduction, whether that be physical or spiritual. So in the context of that, we see the church, we're going to see the church exploding here in Ephesus. But Paul here, he comes across some disciples, and it says that they didn't even hear there was the Holy Spirit. So these are disciples who only knew, again, of the baptism of John. So that tells us very likely that, especially in, in the context of where this is, is that these were disciples of Apollos. So these were men who were um, disciples of Apollos before Apollos was filled in by Aquila and Priscilla, the whole story and told of the baptism of Jesus. And so these men needed to also hear the whole story. But what's interesting here is these are religious men who didn't have the Holy Spirit, who needed to hear the gospel. And so maybe a reminder for us that the gospel is something that needs to be proclaimed in the world, but also to religious people. That there's religious people who know a lot about the scriptures, but who do not know God. There are religious people who can have memorized parts of scripture, but who do not have the Holy Spirit in them. So this is a good reminder for us that our ministry in this world is not only to a world that's in need to hear the gospel. Absolutely, that's a big part of it. But our ministry is also to religious people, to speak the gospel into them, to speak the gospel of grace into them. October the 6th, in this 15, yeah, I wrote it down somewhere. In the 16th century, October the 6th, William Tyndale was burned at the stake. Do you know what his crime was? His crime was, I think someone said it, in translating the scriptures into English. That was his crime. And it was done to him by religious people. 
And William Tyndale had this heart. He wanted the, the people to have the scriptures to themselves because he was seeing the teaching that was being made did not line up with the scriptures. And so he was passionate. He wanted people, everyday people, to have a copy of the scriptures in your hand. And in fact, if it wasn't for William Tyndale, we may not have the scriptures as we have them today. Much of the King James Version of the Bible were taken from William Tyndale's work. He had translated the scriptures, and he ended up being burned at the stake for it, preaching the gospel to religious people. This reminder for us through the testimony of William Tyndale that our ministry extends not only out into the world, but also to people who are in different churches who do not know the true gospel who do not know the message of grace, who are trying every day to earn their way into right favor with God, who are deceived into thinking that by their good works, they can be saved. These are people that need to hear the gospel, religious people. And we learn that here. And he goes on to say, all they know of John's baptism, all they know of the baptism that points forward to Jesus. That's what Paul says in verse 4. John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in those who was to come after him, and that is Jesus. So John's baptism pointed forward to Jesus. The question I get asked often is, how could Old Testament people ever be saved if we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus, what Jesus has done? And the answer to that question is, we as believers today, we look back on what Jesus has done, and by faith in that, we are saved, what Christ has done. For Old Testament people, they looked forward to that day. So for Old Testament people, they're saved as they look forward to Jesus doing these things, the Messiah coming to make that way for, to, to salvation. And so they're saved by grace through faith, just as we were, but they're saved by looking forward. We're saved by looking back. The central moment in all of history is what Jesus has done. And that's the good news, that God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus, died for our sins, was buried and rose again. That's the central moment in all of history. That's why all of our time is patterned after that, at least close to that. It's probably about 4 BC when Jesus came into this world. It's a reminder that Jesus was always ahead of his time. But in 4 BC, but all of our, our very clock is based on that. The very central point of all of history is Jesus coming. So these disciples, all they knew was what was coming. They didn't know Jesus had come and what he had done. And so Paul fills them in on that, says John, uh, and then says verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So these men, they hear the whole gospel. They end up declaring their faith in Jesus through the waters of baptism. Paul lays hands on them, and they begin to speak in tongues, and they begin to prophesy. So how do we make of, what do we make of that? A couple of things I want to point out about that particular passage. Number one is... That is not the normative experience for everyone who comes to faith in Jesus. We hear many times in the scriptures of someone coming to faith in Jesus who does not speak in tongues. Secondly, Paul says when it comes to tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues, it's a gift that not everyone has, but some do. And so it's not a gift that is for everyone. And when we see this happening in Acts, the reality is when we see it happening, it's when the gospel penetrates into new areas. We saw this happening where? The first time. 
Pentecost, Jerusalem. Then we saw it happening in Judea, Samaria. Then we see it happening now among the Gentiles. So when the gospel penetrates new areas, that seems to be the time when this particular thing happens as a testimony that the Holy Spirit has come upon now Gentiles. So this is not something, we have friends in the evangelical world that would say the evidence that you have been saved, the initial evidence is that you speak in tongues. And I just do not think the scriptures can warrant that conclusion. I don't think you can look at the scriptures and come to that particular conclusion. But here, that's what happens. The gospel now penetrates into the Gentiles. And the evidence of that here is these men who are speaking in tongues who begin to prophesy, just like we saw at Pentecost. And now what we're going to see is Ephesus become what happened at Pentecost, and people trained up and spread out into all of the world. goes on to say, verse 8, Paul then entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. For those of you who've been tracking with us through this whole series, three months in the synagogue is longer than any other time Paul's ever been able to spend in the synagogue. Usually he's driven out right away or maybe a week later. He's three months this time. So great ministry happening, speaks boldly. He's reasoning, he's persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, the bad news people, the people who now begin to cause problems for Paul. So he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, that's interesting what happens here. I just want to point out something. Here he is preaching in the synagogue. There's great fruit happening, but then men turn against him and drive him out. You can think, ah, oh, that's terrible. This ministry was great. It was starting to flourish, and then these men have now stopped it. But with these men meant for evil, God used for incredible good. He ends up going to the hall or the lecture hall, the school of Tyrannus. And it said, history tells us that this was between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Every single day, Paul would go into the hall of Tyrannus and train these men and these women, these train these people in the things of God. And he was able to do that for two years. Absolutely incredible. During those two years, the church in Colossae was started. Paul had never visited the church in Colossae. Started then. The, you know the seven churches in Revelation that we studied through? All, the six other ones, other than Ephesus, all started during these two years that Paul was teaching in Tyrannus. So what we are seeing here, these men who meant evil for him, opened a door for Paul to now train up others. Ephesus was a huge city, a city of about 250,000 people, which was huge in this day. People would come from all over the place to work there and to shop there and to visit the temple of Artemis. So people are always traveling in. And as they're traveling in, Paul is taking 11 to 4, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., which is what time of day for them? It's their siesta time. Just like happens all over the world today, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. is the hottest part of the day. And so workers would work until 11. They'd take a siesta, a break until 4 p.m. Once it got cooler, they'd go back to work. And so Paul was very likely doing tent making in the morning, maybe tent making after 4 o'clock, but then using that time between 11 and 4 to train up others. And it became a central hub for the gospel to then go out into all of Asia Minor. 
what Satan meant for evil, God used for good. We see it time and time again in the scriptures. And I pray that encourages you today as we think of what's in happening in our world, the division, the hatred, the stuff that makes Satan smile, to know that God is working good in the midst of all of that. What Satan meant for evil, what these men meant for evil, God used for good. Remember Paul writes to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 16. He's going to go visit them in Corinth, but he says, I'm not coming yet. I'm going to tarry in Ephesus. I'm going to wait here in Ephesus. You remember why? Because God has opened a great door of ministry for me. And there are many who are my adversaries. So he writes to the church in Corinth and says, God has opened this door for me to teach in this, this secular college, this secular school, and train up people to send them out into the nation. So I'm going to come to you one day, but not yet. I'm staying here because God has opened this great door. So great encouragement for us to see. I pray that's great encouragement to you to see the way that God works, the way that God worked here. So then as this happened, oh, Tyrannus, Tyrannus, you know what Tyrannus means? I should have said this before. Tyrannus means tyrant. <laughs> I don't know who named him that. Maybe his parents named him Tyrannus, tyrant. Maybe that was a name given to him by his students. Um, we really don't know. But God uses the school of a tyrant to make disciples to send them out into the nations. God can use anybody if he can use a tyrant to do that. And then goes on to say, this continued for two years that all the residents of Asia heard the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. So that's, again, that hint. All of them did not come and sit under the teaching of Paul. But some of them did, and they were sent out. And as a result of people multiplying and being sent out, all of Asia Minor was affected. And then verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. I'm going to put a period there for now. We're going to pick up that next week. There's some stuff about a handkerchief and an apron that have some interesting uh, powers. We're going to talk about that next week. I want to focus, though, on that verse 11. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Almost a restatement of Paul planted the seed, Apollos watered, God brought the growth. So this was Paul committing his life to, surrendering his life for that which God had called him to do, and that was training up disciple, disciples who would then go on and make disciples and plant churches. He did what he was able to do. He used the gifts that God gave him to lay down his life as a living sacrifice to be used of God, but then trusted God to do the work. Very carefully, Luke is, very, very careful Luke is when he writes this, that it was God who was doing the extraordinary miracles through Paul. It was not Paul who was doing them. So Paul gave himself to do what he could do, but then it was God who did what only God can do. And there are certain things that only God can do. Change a heart. Bring someone to faith in Jesus. We can be the lips that God uses to share the gospel, but it's going to be God who changes their hearts, who changes the heart of stone into a heart of flesh, into a heart that beats after the things of God. And so we are called to do what we can do. We're called to live gentle lives. We're called to share the gospel in loving, grace-filled ways. We're called to forgive when others hurt us. We're called to love and pray for even our enemies, those who persecute us. We are called to do all of these things. And so we must give our lives to these things. But then we trust God with the results. We trust God to do what only God can do. 
Just quickly, I want to go over a few things. So being good news people, here's kind of the big idea for this morning. Being big news people requires two things. It requires the word of God in your hands and the spirit of God in your heart. You see people who did not have the spirit of God. All they had was the word of God, and you saw how ineffective they were. What we need is the word of God being driven by, being motivated by, being us being given wisdom by the Holy Spirit to understand how to apply it and how to live it out. So we need the scriptures. We need God's word in one hand and the spirit of God in our hearts to motivate us, to move us on. And then we give our lives to certain things. And this reminder right at the very beginning, we all need times of refueling. We need times of refreshment and in spending time with the Lord. We need God to, to fuel us up and give us a heart that beats after his heart. That kind of life just doesn't come naturally. For someone whose heart beats after the things of God, and you look at them like they're passionate followers of Jesus Christ, that doesn't just happen. It happens because they're connected to the Lord. Times of prayer, people of prayer, prayer warriors, people of the word of God. So we all need times of refueling. And then good news people also need to be people who follow up and build up. So maybe there's those right now who you have had conversations with, maybe gospel conversations with, and the Lord is leading you right now. Hey, follow up with them today or tomorrow. Check in with them. And then number three, we need to be sensitive to others. As good news people, to be sensitive to others, like Aquila and Priscilla, who came alongside um, Apollos and could have shamed him, could have called him out publicly, but instead took him aside and were sensitive to him and shared with him the whole gospel, and the results were phenomenal. We need to be people, number four, who know and share the gospel, the full gospel. We need to know what the gospel is when we say, someone asks you, what is the gospel? We need to know how to answer that. We need to know the full gospel. We saw time and time again, people in these stories, these accounts who didn't have the whole gospel, who needed the whole gospel for them to be effective in the ministry God has called them to. So we need the whole gospel. And then number five, I didn't mention this. I should have mentioned this along the way, but maybe for some of you, you think, well, I know God calls me to share my faith, but I don't know how to do it. Take a lesson from Paul here and ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask people questions. I don't know how to share the gospel. Well, ask questions. Ask how they're doing. Begin to learn a little bit more about them, not as some project for you, but because they are people made in the image of God who were called to love and care for. So begin just to have a conversation by asking questions. We have far too many people in this world, and you know you've had conversations with people before where you can tell they're not actually listening to you. They're just waiting to tell you something else. So you're sharing with them something about your life and they're just waiting. Oh yeah, I, I went through that too. I know what you're going through. Oh, my, my friend has a friend who knows what you're going through. They're just waiting to tell you. God's given us, you've heard this before, two ears and one mouth. So let's use them in that proportion. Don't be afraid to ask questions and listen. Learn about them so you can better love them and care for them. And so you can better answer questions that they're actually asking because far too often we're answering questions that no one is asking. And so let's begin to ask them questions to find out what the, question, what the questions they have are so that we can answer those right questions. So don't be afraid to ask questions. We also learn through this passage the necessity of the Holy Spirit. That unless we've come to faith in Jesus and have the Holy Spirit in us, empowering us, giving wisdom to us, 
strengthening us, then all we're doing is spinning the wheels. We're doing stuff out of our own ability. This is why we need to be taking time away to, for the Lord to connect, for us to connect with the Lord, to be attached to the vine as branches, that we can have our life through him. So it's absolutely essential. And then number seven, pray for open doors. We see this happening. Paul telling the church to pray for open doors for the ministry to happen. And this is the very thing that happens in Ephesus. God opens this wide door for ministry. So let's be people who pray for open doors and who are not surprised when God opens them. You gotta expect God to open open to, to open doors for us for the ministry to continue, so the gospel to be proclaimed. God desires that all men come to faith in him. So he's going to open doors when we start praying those things. So don't be surprised when he does. And then lastly, there's a time where we just have to step back. We do what we can do. And then we step back and watch God do what only God can do. And this is what I want to encourage you with today. God is at work in this world. So let's be faithful to what he calls us to do. And then let's step back. Let's be still. Let's sometimes shut up and watch God do what only God can do. Scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 16, 9, that the Lord is looking to and fro throughout all the earth to show himself strong to those whose hearts are blameless toward him. The Lord is looking to and fro across all the earth to show himself strong, looking for someone whose heart is blameless toward him, looking for someone who is saying, my, my, my life is a living sacrifice for you. I'm going to lay it down so that he can show himself strong through your weakness. So the Lord is looking for people who are humble, who will lay down their lives, whose hearts are blameless toward him, that he can show himself strong, that he can draw men and women and children to himself. So we surrender our lives to do what we're able to do, but then trust God to do what only God can do. And this is the assurance we have. What Jesus said to his disciples is something that is still for us today. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In fact, when the gates of hell drive you out of the synagogue, I'm going to open a door to another place where the gospel will be proclaimed and there's going to be even greater good that's going to come out of what I'm doing. I will build my church, Christ says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. May that scripture be on your hearts as you leave today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges in it. Thank you for your spirit that convicts us and draws us to yourself. Thank you for the transformation that your spirit brings in each one who calls out in faith to Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for the good news of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. And I pray that as we go out into this world and be bearers of this good news, you would help us to do this wisely and skillfully and gracefully and lovingly as we go out into the world and live our lives for that which you call us to live for and to speak the things that you call us to speak. Give us boldness as we go. 
May we do it all for the cause of making Christ known to the ends of the earth. And we know the full gospel includes Christ coming back again and restoring all things, making all things new. We eagerly await for that day the full redemption of our bodies, the the day when Christ will bring in, inaugurate his kingdom fully, the new heavens and the new earth. And so I pray, Father, that we live each day in light of that day for the cause of making Christ known through our lives, through our lips, through this church, through locking arms together as the church here at Stony Creek and doing what it is you've called us to do in the strength of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's word, We'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless.